Greetings, everyone. I'm excited to introduce Sven Lackinger, co-founder and CEO at Sasterfy. Sven, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ben. Excited to be here. Yeah, excited to dive in. So let's start out. Tell us a little bit about your background. Well, so I'm originally from Austria, which is actually the city where Arnold Schwarzenegger was born in. That was kind of like, that's my, <laughs> my starting piece every time. And then I kind of like stumbled into the whole startup world after finishing basically business school. So together with my former roommate, we started a company, which was funny enough, an in industry of parking back in 2014. Did that for about six years, company got acquired and then started Sastrify about three years ago. So it's been, been in the, the shoes of the founder ever since. Never had a real job. Oh, wow. I love that. So from Austria, but startups right after school and in the parking space. So tell us a little bit about that. What did it do in the parking space? So we basically brought the whole topic of seamless payment to car parks. Like when you enter through the gate and the, the barrier opens and stuff like that. So you could do all of that directly out of your car. So we worked with companies like Porsche, Mercedes and others where you could basically do that and then pay automatically via the car. In the end, it was quite an, quite an exciting journey. I'm a little bit of a car guy myself. So there was definitely some, some passion in there, even though it was parking. But yeah, as I said, the company got acquired like four or five years into the journey. It was great result for us. But then after like spending one or two years with the acquirer, both of us, both Max and myself, were, were eager to kick up something new. And when you sold the company, did you sell to another company or did you sell to private equity? We actually sold to another company. There's really only three big players worldwide in this like parking technology market. And it was one of those classic strategic acquisitions where a company was basically, they had crazy market leadership in some markets at like 60, 70% market share. And then they said, okay, we, we need this like digital speedboat to come on top of our infrastructure. And that was kind of like why they, why they acquired us. And the company is still operational today. We still do fun stuff. I think Boston Airport is still running on our software. So it's quite a, quite a fun journey. Oh, that's great. Love it. So yeah, let's talk about your current company, Sastrify. Tell us what products and services Sastrify offers. Yeah, so Sastrify was really started back. So Max, my co-founder, was our CTO back at the previous company. I was on the commercial side. And one of the topics that was always between the two of us was all the SaaS licenses that we were actually purchasing and using, right? So I was more in the, the commercial CFO type role. And Max always likes to say, like, he was spending a ton of money on it. And I was basically running after him, trying to figure out why the heck are we spending so much money on, on software? And then that's what really triggered us to, to look deeper into that and how do companies actually buy software? So what Sasrify does today is really we handle that whole life cycle of SaaS within a company. We help companies find the right tools, acquire them in the right ways, have a structured process in place, have the right price benchmarks in place, and then really make sure that everything that's already there, that you know about it, that you optimize it, and you don't overspend on your, on your SaaS contracts. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of spend, sense. And it seems like spend management, at least SaaS spend management, is a relatively new category, but a, a, lot, a lot of new players in that space. So you said the life cycle. So to find, acquire, look at the pricing, and then after that, is it just managing the inventory of licenses, just make sure everything is optimized, that you're actually using the software? Exactly. It's really about this. There's the usage analytics piece. There's the pricing piece. There's the, I mean, what a lot of SaaS companies have done over the last couple of months was obviously increasing prices. So you make sure you stay on top of that. And then I think one of the bigger trends that we see is also usage-based pricing. So if you look at the large companies like, like Datadog or others, like 
Snowflake is probably the prime example of that. Like everybody's going through more usage-based um, pricing model. And for me, the whole part about if you take AI into the into account, right? That's like for right now, if you have a CRM and you have people working on tickets, you have a seat-based pricing model. But once the software starts answering your customer requests automatically, it will become a usage-based ticketing model. And I think that's for us a an, an, an really interesting development because that means for us staying on top of that, predicting usage, analyzing usage, and then finding the right price model for that is even more important going forward for companies. Yeah, definitely. And, and tell us about your pricing model. How do you price this? Is it subscription? Is there a usage component? Tell us about how you monetize. Yeah, so the, the cool thing for us is like we have a very tangible ROI, right? It's a little bit like, hey, you pay a couple of thousand dollars to Testify, but at the same time, you save way more than that on all the other SaaS products. And the way we operate is we typically, with different buckets and tiers on an annual price, starting at around 30K per year. Uh, and then it's really about how big is your SaaS tag, like how much money you're spending on it. It typically makes sense to think about working with us if you're in the range of like, $250,000, $300,000 a year, uh, which typically is around 50 to 100 people companies. And then it goes, well, that's basically limitless to, to the, the, the task band that we've seen so far uh, on the upper end. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. You have, a, have enough SaaS spend to be able to then do something with it, optimize it, maybe get some price reductions. <laughs> exactly. You need, you need to be like, to be honest, I think you need a certain level of spend that really makes sense, like either using Sashify or taking, even trying to take care of it yourself. It's like the time you spend on this and the money you spend on us. And I think that's a big way of like, you need to have a certain spend that we really have an impact. And obviously the bigger the spend, the bigger our impact. And we've actually seen tremendous results of like hundreds and thousands of dollars for individual clients safe, simply because we knew that that's the right price to go for. Here's a bunch of unused licenses that you can get rid of. So it's very powerful in, in terms of ROI, but also in terms of, of time safe there. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And is your customer base, is it global? Is it Europe? Is it US? Where are you landing your customers? Well, it's mostly US and Europe. We do have an increasing presence in, in LATAM as well. We have some crazy outliers in Australia and, and Singapore and some other areas. But the main, main market spots are definitely the US and, and Europe. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. And what year did you found Sastrify? Well, I was middle of 2020. So right in the, right in the pandemic. So after, after the first wave, if you want, the summer of 2020, Max and I started. Yeah. Okay. And then where do you have a headquarters location? So we do have a headquarters in New York and Cologne in Germany. That being said, as we started out in this crazy world three years ago, we went fully remote from day one. So still until this day, we don't have any company-owned offices. Our team of about, we're now about 150, 160 people. was actually spread over almost 20 different countries. So we do have quite a, quite a cool global presence in, in terms of the team, but there's no like definite office mm -hmm. or headquarters where people would go to every day. Okay. And then, yeah, my next question was team size. So about 100, 150, 160 staff over 20 yeah. countries or so. Yeah, it's quite a quite an administrative nightmare if you if you think about it. But we found found a pretty cool working model now in terms of how we actually get that administrated over all those different legislations. Yeah, yeah, that right. The compliance with that. I'm just real curious because this is such a common staffing model. Are you using any sort of software provider that helps you manage that global payroll? Yeah, we we do use one of the UR providers, and then for 
for the, the smaller countries. But then every time we get to about five to 10 people in a certain country, we look into opening a subsidiary there. So for now, that means for us, we have a subsidiary in the US, we have one in, in Spain to like, yeah, have a little bit of a tighter group on that. Okay. Okay. That's good. Good. Yeah. Staying compliant in those jurisdictions. Anything yeah. you want to share around your revenue range or ARR range? Yeah. So we, we, we're now in the, we, we're approaching the 10 million benchmark in a way. I think that's kind of mm-hmm. now like two, two and a half years on the market. I think it's been, been pretty wild ride so far. So definitely exciting, exciting times here. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's a huge benchmark. And Let's talk a little bit about your go-to-market motion because we've heard, and you probably have heard the social media, 2023, the year of selling into the CFO, right? We've we've pulled back spend. We're trying to extend our cash runways. So tell us, how are you finding prospects and are you reaching out to CFOs, controllers, founders? Who who are you trying to land as a, a prospect and customer? Yeah, actually for us, I guess, net-net, you know, obviously it's been difficult months for, for everybody in tech. But I think net-net for us, because we have that strong and tangible ROI, it's still be, been more or less, yeah, fueled our growth over the last couple of months because we can like almost promise our ROI to our customers, right? It's, it's so visible. Like we look at the contract, we can tell everybody where you can save money and where you can actually like get rid of stuff as well. So it's really about finding that way of having a centralized SaaS stack that's really like reducing that, that waste of spend. And I think that's really helped us a lot in terms of approaching it. And yeah. In the end, we work with mostly finance teams, the so CFOs, we work with procurement teams. So once companies get beyond the 500 FTE mark, that's typically when we work with the procurement teams. And then sometimes we also work with CTOs, tech teams, IT admins in, in that world. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Reaching out to those finance teams, IT, procurement. And then... Tell us a little bit about your fundraising journey, because before we hit record, you, you mentioned maybe you've experienced with nine or 10 fundraising, fundraising rounds. And then at Sastify, if I have this correct, about August 2021, a $7 million seed. January of 2022, you know, rough timeframes, about a 15 million Series A. And then most recently around May, a 32 million Series B round. So tell us, you know, so we have that capital raise over that time frame and, and your experience there. So with some of those fundraisers at Sastrify, you know, seed series A, series B, what triggers or milestones do you remember that led you to each of those raises or maybe just the most recent series B? Yeah, so there's actually even one, like we did a pre-seed round in November 2020, which was the, the earliest one, it's not that that public, but just to get going. And I think mm-hmm. for us, the, the beautiful thing about if you run a SaaS company is you have quite clear benchmarks on when and where, when and how and why you should raise. So for us, that was really like we, we raised a pre-seed just to get started. Then we had the seed round, which was basically around approaching half a million of AR. I think that was for us the, it's like, oh, we actually have product market fit with first like 30, 40 customers. It's kind of like repeatable. And then obviously... Well, that was, that was good old 2021 days. We got preempted in our A only like three months after the, the, the seed round. So we really found a really cool collaboration with the guys from, from First Mark in New York. I hit it off in a really great partnership there. And then had them come on board in, as you said, January 2022. And then for us, it was really from there, just investing heavily in, in our growth. And now I think for us, the B round was quite interesting because obviously it's Pretty difficult market dynamics right now, but we benefited a lot of that in terms of helping companies save money. So 
really strong growth for last year, really good metrics. And then it was definitely a tougher fundraise, eh? But in the end, we basically yeah, got it done within the first like three to four months of this year. And then you mentioned Series A. Was that more of an opportun- opportunistic round where you met some investors, where there was good fit with those investors and, and what your company is trying to achieve? Oh, 100%. It was, re- it was literally like one of those rounds where you think they, they can't happen. It's like a guy reaching out to me on LinkedIn. And I was like, oh, actually, we, we hit it off extremely well. And then obviously, First Morgan is pretty well-known fund. So it was great to like work with them, see their understanding of the market. It was just what really happens. It was kind of like a perfect match in terms of vision of where we want to take the company. So we said, okay, that's, let's bring them on board. Obviously, for us, there was also a huge angle of launching in the US, which we did last year. So this is, yeah, it was a very successful collaboration so far. Okay, that's great. And then with your Series B at $32 billion, where is that capital focused? Is that supplementing your cash balance or is there a specific focus with that cash or just continue to execute? Yeah, that's definitely a big part is continuing to execute, double down and go to market, especially in the US and Europe. Um, that being said, we're also looking into a bunch of new products that go into the whole world of like, it's not only about spend and procurement, it's also about marketplaces, payment. So by now you can... For example, you can also buy a ton of software directly from us and you can also finance the software via us. So there's a couple of cool products that are on the horizon on, on our end, which also like have this financial angle, if you want. So part of that, that money goes also into that and, and just being yeah, more innovative on, on, on where we want to take the company. Okay. And Sven, you have a lot of experience in fundraising. So thinking about the other founders listening right now who may be going through some fundraising rounds or thinking about a fundraise, Anything comes to mind as far as lesson learned in some of these fundraisers? Well, many, <laughs> countless <laughs> even. But I think for me, the like setting yourself those gates as a founder, I think is, is super valuable, right? I mean, as I said, in the SaaS company, it's like there's definitely the 1 million mark and it's probably the 5 and the 10 million mark in terms of AR. But there's also, other than that, I think there's also a lot about when does it, like what do we need to achieve to be attractive for an investor? And I think that that's one. And then given the, the times we're in today, my, my most important lesson is like always have a plan B, right? If you have like six to 12 months runway left, it's like yeah, and you start go out for the fundraise, you always have to have a plan B in your back pocket if it doesn't take place. Because in the end, right now, the markets are still, from my perspective, super unstable. So you can get lucky, but you can also like, even if you talk to, well, 100 plus investors, you might not end up with the term sheet these days. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. We appreciate that insight. And so based on the current stage of SAS5, you said approaching 10 million ARR, do you have a favorite number or metric that you're focused on to manage your business? I think for us, it's really about, well, two actually. So I think one for us is the whole magic number piece. So measuring sales efficiency. And then it's really, these days it's really about CAC payback. So how long does it take us to, to basically pay back our customer acquisition costs. I think those are the most relevant ones that we see right now. And then I guess second to that for us is the whole topic of net dollar retention, because that's kind of like the, the other thing that we are actively working on. Okay, well, it makes sense at your stage, like building out your SaaS metrics set, you know, starting to get a little bit more with, with the financial metrics to, to guide your business. So, so Sven, yeah, really appreciate your time today as we wrap up, what's next for Sastrify? Well, a <laughs> lot, lot of cool things to come. So we, we're about to 
next one of our next plans is actually to to have a really cool product release every month. So we're working on a on a really strong cadence there. Going to start with the with the next one even uh, within the next couple of weeks. And then I think for us it's really doubling down on what feels to be our market right now. So people are very aware of of cost efficiencies. So really doubling down on that growth that we've seen over the last couple last couple of quarters. And one quick question on your, your customer profile, you know, you mentioned kind of a, a, an employee threshold and SaaS spend threshold. I assume then you can scale up going into really large enterprise customers then. So you kind of have that minimum, but do you scale up into customers with billions in revenue? Yeah, we tend to focus on customers between, let's say, 100 on the lower end, 10,000 on the higher end. We can go higher than that, but then if it gets, let's say, if you, if you end up in the weeds of, SAPs and more complex group structures, then it's of a different kind of animal, right? So if it's about when you're in the in the single contract range for a Salesforce contract of multi-million dollars, that's then when when you have the extensions of this world working on it with the full team. Mm. So our sweet spot is really in this like mid-market segment, but we do have like a plan to to grow up market from there as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Exciting. So really appreciate your time sharing your experience today. If listeners would like to learn more about Sastrify, where should we send them online? Well, it's sastrify.com. And I guess it's easiest if you take the name from the, from the description, because we've, we've had some misspellings in the past. And also if you want to reach out, it's just then at sastrify.com. Always super happy to, to connect you with whoever might be uh, responsible in our team as well. All right. Well, perfect. Well, Sven, really appreciate the time today, sharing your journey, your fundraising journey, and and best wishes on the journey ahead. Thanks, man. It was a lot of fun. Happy to be here.